0: You enjoying springtime? It feels like spring out there. Yeah, I'm I'm all over that. I can can do without winter. Next week begins Lent. Man, the time's going so fast. And next Sunday we will be explaining and laying out 1.1.1. You'll find out what that's all about. It's life-changing. And remember, if it doesn't change your life, the church will refund every penny you've ever given. (laughs) Not really. It's just fun to watch all the blood go out of Chandra's face. It's... Yes, if you can't mess with the staff, why be here? And then Wednesday night's Ash Wednesday. Yeah, 6 o'clock, it all kicks off. Today we kind of wrap up a series that we've been looking at, the names of God. And, and at the beginning part, kind of introduction, we kind of explain why we're doing this. And I, I want to walk you through that again. And if you've been here all month, you're going, you know, Gene, I think I can repeat this. I've heard it so many times. I, I know, I know. But something that I learned a long time ago, every Sunday is potentially somebody's first. And we never want anybody to feel like i got to catch up. So let me just real quickly kind of bring you out why we study the names of God. Because to me, it seems it makes no sense to study something if you don't know why you're doing it. The names of God is, it it, it, it starts with the name, and the name is the most important thing about you. Your parents wrestled hard when they decided what they were going to name you, because it's the first method of self-revelation. It's how you disclose yourself for the first time. Remember, if you go to a, a conference, you get that sticker, my, Hello, my name is. And we all have several names. My name is Gene. My kids call me Dad. The church calls me Pastor. My, uh, my parents call me Son. My wife calls me Honey. All those names are appropriate. But the kicker here for the whole series, you must have the relationship to use that name. The only people that should call me Son really are My parents. The only people that should call me dad really are my kids. It's a unique relationship that allows you to use the name. And so when we have the names of God, it's the same thing. He says, you must have this relationship to use the name. And then he says, I respond to the name. You know, when when you have my name, you really have permission to get my attention. He says, I respond to my name. And my name is so important. It's one of those top ten commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 7, do not take the name of the Lord in vain. Well, it's more than just using it in profanity. It's using his name when you're not in a position to use his name. It's when someone else is calling me dad and you're not my kid. It's you, so it, we learn the names making sure that we understand the name and therefore we're in a position to use the name. Then he says, I respond when you use my name. Every mom here can remember the first time your child called you mama. How that just melted you. And every dad, you remember the first time your child called you daddy. And as a, as a grandparent, when my grandkids say, I love you, Papa, I melt over this. The father comes to us and says, you know something? I respond. The reason I'm giving you these names, it, 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 it's like the key to me. I respond to these names as long as you qualify. Then he says, as you understand my name, it's a weapon of praise. Remember the key verses we've been using? Psalm 48.10. According to thy name, O God, so praise the end of the earth. Thy right hand is righteousness. One of my favorites, Psalm 8.1. O Lord, O Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who has set thy glory above the heavens. Our Father who art in heaven, holy is your name. It's amazing how often the name is the issue. So he says, it's a praise weapon. When I, I respond when you praise me using my name. Then he says it's also a fort to run to when things are collapsing. When you went to the doctor, you got a report you didn't figure. When a relationship was coming apart, when finances are coming apart. It happens to all of us. When something goes wrong and you want to cry out to God, he says, use that name. It's a fort you can run to. It's been the theme verse of the series that we've been saying together at the close of every service. Proverbs 18:10. The name of the name, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it, and they are safe. So the name, as we're in a position to use it, becomes a place of praise. It becomes a place we run to. One more thing in kind of the introduction of why we're doing this. The names of God were not given by us. There wasn't a creative guy that went, you know, think I'll call you Jehovah Shalom. He gave us these names. They're his invention so that we would use them. He says, I'm drawn by my name. There's a purpose to them. And today we want to look at Jehovah Shalom. You know Shalom means peace. You've probably heard that a thousand times. So Jehovah Shalom is pretty simple. God is peace. You ever notice when the angels declared the coming of Jesus in the human flesh? Look at Luke 2.14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace. Goodwill toward men. Shalom. On earth. Shalom is coming. The coming of Jesus brings this possibility of shalom, peace. Now, this is not an end to violence. This is not an end to gunfire. There's a difference between peace and a truce. The Father is not saying, because of Jesus, I will, I will give, we'll have a, tr- a truce between us. No, 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 no. He's saying there will be peace between us. But today, when you think, well, Jesus came and now we have peace, doesn't that sound like a lie? I'm not trying to be sacrilegious or sarcastic, but come on. Peace on earth? Where do you want to go? Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, Indonesia, Palestine, Israel? Where do you want to go? So when, when, when we stand up here and say, you know, Jesus is here. We have peace on earth. You kind of want to go, what do you say we go home? This guy's nuts. There's not peace on earth. Come on. And I, I, it messed with me so much. I don't know that I'll ever forget Littleton, Colorado. Maybe because it was the first time, you know what I mean? It's getting sadly more common, so we're we're more jaded. But the first time, students killed students. Remember Littleton? Shocked all of America. High school kids went in school with a plan to kill as many of their classmates as they could. They killed 13, killing themselves. This small, upper-middle-class community, how could that happen? And now colleges and and high schools are in lockdown all the time. The amount of psychological counselors available in clinics, and there's no peace. And how fragile peace is in our families. Homes just ready to blow. Frustration and anger. And yet we desire peace. And so it does strike you, frankly, a little odd when Jesus says, I am here, and now there is peace on earth. Really? So let's look carefully at the term and understand what we are talking about. First of all, remember, the way we really grasp the name of God is when was the first time it was used. When did God introduce it to us? And when we see when it was first used, kind of the background, then everything begins to flow together and everything begins to make sense. This is one of those very, very late names. This is not to the book of Judges. Almost all of the names, and I don't need to tell you this because if you've been here all month, almost all the names go back to Abraham, 99 years old, childlessness, Isaac. Almost all the names go there. Today, we're not going to be talking about Abraham. And if you've been here for all months, you're going, fine. Move on, Gene, cry out loud. Okay, we're going to go to Judges today. Abraham is long dead. Generations, hundreds of years have gone by. And Israel is now in the promised land. The land's been divided among the 12 tribes, and there is no unity. It's a mess. In fact, I feel like Israel at that time in the land of Canaan is a little bit like us today. Scripture tells us everybody did what was right in their own eyes. Universal truth, absolute morality was lost. Their attitude was, if it works for you, it works. You have no right to tell me what's right for me. They were were a law to themselves. That kind of sounds like America. You have no right to tell anybody else how to live. Universal morality, it's all relative. If it works for me, it works, leave me alone. I identify with that. That's our culture. The scripture says they, they became a law unto themselves. And they even turned to the gods of nations around them these, these polytheistic nations, the god of everything, god of fertility, god of the sun, god of the moon, god of the harvest. These wandering Israelites saw these neighboring countries' farms being pretty effective. They were tempted to turn to them for help. So they ended up with no long-term goals. Everything was kind of short-term, no sense of mission, no sense of, of purpose, and they fell into idolatry. No spiritual vision. They fell prey to the guide idols around them. I, I know, it kind of sounds like us. Our country once populated by those seeking religious freedom. Founding fathers had a passion, one nation under God. God blessed America. We've taken his blessings for, for granted. And now I think the term Christian is the most generic term on earth. Every politician's a Christian. They get to define it any way they want. We've rushed to a lot of other gods in our country. Losing a moral anchor, we have the obvious anarchy and violence. So the book of Judges kind of reminds me of America. They were a law to themselves, anarchy, it's kind of a mess. And the book of Judges is basically cyclical. It's recording of the same pattern happening over and over and over. The book of Judges is kind of a downer in some ways. Let me give you the pattern. Disobedience to God. So God punishes them. He pulls back his protection. Well, when he pulls back his protection, they're enslaved by another nation. They cry out to God for help, and he sends a deliverer, a judge. After a period of time, disobedience, God pulls back his protection, They're enslaved by yet another nation. They cry out to God, and God sends a judge, a deliverer. and So the cycle is all the way through, over and over and over. They lose their land. They sink into slavery. They cry out to God, and God sends a judge. So the book of Judges is not really a fun book. When the judge comes and God steps in again, it's it's, a wonderful celebration. But we just see them go back into a mess again. I don't know. Is that a little bit like your life in some ways? They're almost living spiritually cyclical. I brought Jesus into my life and then I kind of slid back in rebellion and then I repented and then I slid back a little bit into rebellion and lost blessings and then I repented and then I slid back and lost blessings and then I repented. Is your spiritual life cyclical or ongoing growth? So the book of Judges resonates to a lot of us. And here we find Jehovah Shalom. Right now, we're we're in the sixth cycle. They have rejected God. uh, God pulled back his protection. They're they're now enslaved. The Midianites now control. They're about to cry out to God again for a deliverer. And as the Midianites control, they turn them almost into slaves, stealing their crops, destroying their fields, stealing livestock, killing, killing families. They have almost no substance left for the Israelites. So, Judges chapter 6, verse 7 starts out, and it came to pass because of all of this, the cycle. We're now in the third phase of that cycle. Remember, the first is disobedience, and then God removes his protection. Second phase, they're captured by another nation. So we're kind of in that third phase. The Midianites now have them, and they're crying out to God for repentance because they're under the thumb of the Midianites. So the phase begins, Judges chapter 6, verse 7. And it came to pass when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites. Here we are. Same thing. God, forgive us. And the Lord responded. He sends a prophet reminding them, I had delivered the Egyptian bondage years ago, and I will do it again. The very next verse, Judges chapter 6, verse 8. And the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel, which he said to them, Thus saith the Lord of Israel, I brought you out from Egypt and brought you from the house of bondage. He's saying, the deliverer is on the way. Here we go again. So, let's go to the deliverer. Gideon is a young man. He's pressing the wheat. And an angel appears to Gideon, an angel appears as a man. And this is one of those humor verses to me. Because what they would do they would hide in the rocks and, press, and, and go through the process of pressing the wheat. I, I won't get into all the pressing wheat, but, but they, they would prepare, prepare the harvest. But they're hiding in the rocks. Any sound, they're looking. Any, any, any twig, because they're terrified. He's hiding because he's shaking. He's hiding because he's terrified. And this, this, this angel appears to the man, comes to him and says, Gideon, you're a mighty warrior. It's almost humorous. Gideon's got to go, who are you talking to? You're talking to me. You're not talking to me. He's shivering in fear. And the angel says, you are a mighty warrior. You're a warrior. Now, I wonder, did Gideon wonder, how did you get here? Because as they're pressing the wheat, hiding in the rocks, there would be guys high in the hills. that, If they saw the Midianites coming, hit the horn and grab whatever you got and run for your life. So I think part of his thinking is, how did you get by the lookouts? But let's take a look at the conversation. Judges chapter six is where we're going to be all morning. Verses 11: 12, want to see it. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak tree, which is an orpha, not Oprah, just, just so you know. That pertained unto Joash the Aberazite, and his son Gideon, threshed the wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him, and said, "The Lord is with thee, thou mighty warrior." Mighty warrior? you got to say, God's with you, you mighty coward. You gutless. He's in there hiding. He doesn't look like a warrior to me. He's shaking in his boots. It always amazes me how God calls out ordinary people to do extraordinary things when they're going through the ordinary things of life. Gideon questions God, God can't use me. We all do this. God calls you to something. Aren't you fast to say, whoa, there's got to be somebody better. You're not really going to be using me. This is repeated all the way through Scripture. The classic, of course, is Moses at the burning bush. But Gideon saying, no, no, God can't use me. And mighty, mighty warrior, can we just be honest with each other? I'm hiding. I'm gutless. But Gideon realizes this is a prophet. This, this is a guy that knows something. So He's saying, you know, by the way, if God's on our side, and you're saying God's on our side, now I'm a mighty warrior. If God's on our side, why are we slaves to the Midianites? I mean, he ain't helping us much. If God's on our side, why aren't things working out a little better? This conversation is the, sixth, is the 13th verse. I'm breaking it in half. I just want to show you a 613a, we'll call it. And Gideon said unto him, "Oh, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, then why has all this befallen us? That's a fair question. If God's with us, why is my life a mess? If God's on my side, he ain't helping me much. If God's on my side, why are the Midiates befalling us? We are slaves. We're hiding to to do our, our, our normal harvesting. First of all, you're calling me a warrior, and now you're saying God's on our side. I don't think God's on our side. Well, it's true. God's people were run over by the Midianites, but it was their disobedience, not God's ability to protect. And the second question he asks is a little bit like the first. Then he says, and by the way, where are the miracles? We've heard all our life about the miracles of God. We could use one right about now. Here's the second half of that verse. Let's call it 613b. And where are all the miracles which our fathers told us of, saying, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord's forsaken us. And delivered us in the hands of the Midianites. Gideon had been taught all his life about God's miracles, deliverance, deliverance from an oppressive nation, Egypt. Now they're under an oppressive nation. He's saying, if God's with us, why are we screwed here? And on top of that, we keep hearing about miracles. Well, let's go. I'm ready. We need one so desperately. And the angel didn't immediately answer. But as the story unfolds, we get answers. And I think we ask the same questions, don't we? God, I'm serving you, and if you are my heavenly Father, why isn't my life any better? Because frankly, things are a mess. I kind of thought it would be a little better than this. And by the way, all those miracles, I could use one myself. Fair questions. And in sufficiency, we end up with peace. The Lord's answer is, you're right, it's time for a deliverer, and it's you. (laughs) It's you, great warrior. You ever notice sometimes the people that call out to God for someone to step in ends up being them stepping in? Now, Gideon asked for a lot of signs to confirm this call, and the angel instructs Gideon to lay an offering on the rock, go and prepare an offering. This takes time. So the angel is waiting on him. I mean, he's got to prepare the bread, he's got to go home, he's got to prepare the entire offering. This angel is so patient. If it is, in fact, an angel, we'll get into that. And Gideon laid the offering on the rock. He brings it back, he lays it on the rock, and the angel took the staff in his hand. And he touched the meat and the unleavened bread. And out of the rock comes this consuming fire that consumes the entire offering, consumes the rock. And now Gideon realizes, I'm not in the presence of a prophet. I'm in the presence of God. (laughs) You think? Talk about the presence of God. Can you imagine? He lays this offering on this rock, and boom, this thing goes into a fire. The rock is consumed, everything consumed. And they understood that we could not see the face of God and live. It was just too overwhelming. No mortal man could see God and expect to live. And so Gideon, as this rock explodes in fire, he goes, I'm going to die! He's a dead man, Judges 6.22. And when Gideon perceived there was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, alas, I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. This guy's prepared. He's crying out, I'm going to die! Now, theologians wrestle over this angel. I loved on that. There are, there are, theologians believe there are quite a few uh, pre-incarnation, pre incarnation, pre New Testament appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament. He always was. They wrestle, they, many believe that this was, in fact, Jesus. But this person immediately confronts him. Because here, Gideon says in 622, I've seen the face of God. I'm going to die. The very next verse, 623. Take a look. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto thee, fear not, thou shalt not die. And God tells Gideon, he is peace, shalom. And Gideon builds an altar and calls this place Jehovah Shalom. Again, very next verse, 624. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom unto this day. Yet it is. And so we have the first time of the word, Jehovah Shalom, peace. In grateful response, Gideon builds this altar. First time it's used in Scripture, Judges chapter 6. Our word, Shalom, is translated peace. But frankly, it's got multiple meanings. If you visit the Holy Land, it's it's both a, a greeting and a blessing when you depart. They say Shalom coming in and Shalom going out. It's a greeting when you arrive and a blessing when you leave. It also can mean Complete, the best example of complete is First Kings 9.25 in our study. Let's go there. And three times in the year did Solomon offer a burnt offering and peace, shalom, offerings unto the Lord, which he built into the Lord. And he burnt incense on the altar, and it was before the Lord. This is a time when the offering was complete. So the fundamental kind of putting it all together, shalom is when our relationship with Christ is at completion, it breeds peace in our spirit. A complete relationship with God equals peace. This is not a truce. This is not a ceasefire. It is a fullness. It is peace. No wonder our English Bible translates shalom 170 times. Shalom is the great need of our heart. Freedom from guilt. A pure heart before God, wholeness, completion, peace. And remember the two questions. If God is with us, why are we a mess? And where are the miracles? Well, they kind of go back to Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Peace. The people of Israel experienced peace as they were delivered from Egypt. But in the Holy Land, they lived outside of God's will. They need to learn peace has nothing to do with a physical location. Peace is a relationship with the Father, no matter what's going on around us, because going on around us is war all the time. Going on around us is strife all the time. We're about to enter into an election year. It's going to be a peaceful year in our country. (laughs) Maybe not. No matter all the arrows that fly around, you can have peace in you. Only because of wholeness with the Creator. People feel like, I can find peace. You've heard it. If I just moved to another city and started over, maybe then there would be peace in my spirit. If I was just married to another person, there would be peace in my spirit. If I just had a different job, you should see where I work, there would be peace in my spirit. If I just went to a different church... People are spending their life church shopping. There'd be peace in their spirit. People are trying so many different ways to have peace in their spirit and all of them fail eventually. And so sometimes we ask the question, God, if you're with me, why is my life a mess? Well, back in the time of Judges, it was a mess because they created the mess, not God. I, I, I don't want to be unkind, but the truth is Sometimes we call out to God, God, why is my life a mess? My life is a mess because I made it a mess, not God. And how about a miracle? Are you still looking at miracles like our forefathers? It's the miracle of peace. He comes, and as we live in his will, we can actually have peace in our spirit. Not living my life under guilt, but peace Knowing I am right with the Father, no matter what's going on around me and weird stuff going on around me all the time, I can have peace because I understand and know Jehovah Shalom. There is a wholeness, a completion. Remember that angel when he said, here comes Jesus, Luke 2.14, go back to it. Glory to God in the highest and on earth. What's going to be on earth? Peace. Goodwill toward men. The Prince of Peace has come, that we might have peace. Jehovah Shalom is here. We have peace with the Father, and no matter what goes on around us, we have peace. I think the greatest prophecy of Jesus' coming, all the things he's going to fulfill, famous verse, you've heard it a thousand times, Isaiah 9-6. You can't get through a Christmas season without Isaiah 9-6, but here it is. For unto us a child is born... Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Shalom, Prince of Peace. The one is coming brings peace finally to you. Maybe you've looked for peace a lot of different ways, and all you've done is hit dead ends. You did. And if you're trying to find peace somewhere else, a dead end's waiting for you. It ain't gonna work. I'm sorry. The world can be full of wars and rumors of wars, but you can't have a God-given peace in your spirit because he is Jehovah Shalom. If you re- repeat this cycle of judges, I repent, I fall back, I lose my blessings. I repent, I fall back, I lose my blessings. He comes along and says, stop that. Grow with me because I am Shalom. I am peace. You have peace in your soul, in your spirit. And again, remember, every word has a challenge. Every name has a challenge. Unless I'm living in completion with Christ, unless I am enjoying this peace, no, every day isn't wonderful. Yeah, it rains on us. Yeah, we go to a doctor and get a report we didn't figure we were going to have. Yes, there's a relationship somewhere. Yes, there's a financial issue. Yes, we get hurt. We're human beings. And we can still have an arena of strength that we draw back to and say, you are my shalom, shalom. I need that, remind me of the peace that is between me and you, no matter what happens, that peace between me and you. When we are there, then we can use the name and call on Him and say, You are my Jehovah Shalom. It is praise, it is a fort that we run to. Let's stand together this morning. Father, in all the names, Jehovah Shalom is one of the most wonderful. What a promise. I can have peace. Peace. I can't live other people's lives. And they may be struggling and at war, at war with themselves, at war with their spouse, at war with their kids, at war with their parents. They may have their wars, but it doesn't affect my relationship with my father that gives me peace peace, a stillness, a discernment, I thank you for the power of peace and the promise that I am now Jehovah Shalom in your holy name, amen. Two things to just, we love announcements, Ash Wednesday, uh, 6 o'clock, I had a very special message for, for you for Ash Wednesday. Next Sunday we begin the Lenten series. You could probably tell I'm in love with the Old Testament. All those Old Testament feasts teach those people about the coming of Jesus, who he is, what his death means, what his resurrection means. As we grasp those Old Testament feasts, everything about Easter pops. Next thing, we're going to begin the Lenten series. We'll start with the Passover the the Feast of the Passover, what it means and why it's important to us at Easter. It's going to be a very, very fun series. And next week we'll find out about 1.1.1. We're going to have a great time this week. Kicking off, kicking off, Lent, Ash Wednesday, and then the story of the feasts next Sunday is the Passover feast. Our sending verse, you know exactly what it is, Proverbs 18.10, say it with me. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and they are safe. God bless you. See you Wednesday and Sunday.